2: What happens now? Five games to go. Arkansas has lost the last two. They lose to AM last night, 62-56. to 56. In a game they led uh, for 31 minutes. Unfortunately, the game is still 40 minutes in length. So that doesn't really count for anything. I mean, this isn't gymnastics where you can get, uh, you know, points for style. We're still keeping up with who scores the most points on the scoreboard. And that's how we determine the winner. Uh, but, uh, that's, uh, you know, this thing last night, it just totally just muscleman was going to play the same five guys for the last 12 minutes and just hope they figured it out. I don't know if it was a message thing he was doing or if he's just out of answers or he's just not a very good in-game coach. I don't know what the answer is. I know he's an excellent preparation coach. I mean, nobody's more prepared for these games than Arkansas is. He's pretty good recruiting and you know he's a he's a great evaluator of getting these guys from like Rhode Island or you know other places and you're like how are they going to work in the SEC and they usually work out pretty well you know that's that's been pretty good but is in-game coaching I don't know I don't know I don't know I mean last night all the timeouts they had were the media timeouts in the last 12 minutes of a game we're gonna slipping away and you basically left the players out there to just go figure it out. The only it, it, He would have played every, the same five guys for the last 12 minutes if Walsh hadn't fouled out. He played for about 10 minutes, 9 minutes and 50 seconds. He played Black, Council, Davis, Walsh, and uh, Makai Mitchell. He played those guys from 12.08 until 2.18 when uh, Walsh fouled out. So he had to make a change. Otherwise, he probably wasn't going to. I mean, guys get tired. I mean, you, you can't just rely on the media timeouts. Plus, I mean, draw something up. Do do something. Was the plan just hope that a uh, and quits defending really well in the last few minutes and then Arkansas will make their move? And Arkansas has got to quit shooting so many threes. They're just not good at it. You know, they're, they're just not good at it. They're not good. Nick Smith with uh, Eric Musselman. That's obviously a bad marriage. Uh, we've talked about that. Uh, Nick Smith does not play at all in the second half. Musselman didn't want to talk about it after the game. Something's afoot here. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Something, uh, Something's up. So, I don't know. And then Daisy's texted in here, Help us, DVH. You're our only hope. But don't worry, Daisy. The second the the baseball team loses a series, everybody will turn on them, too. You know, two things are going on here, all right? We get two questions, more than any other question, doing this job. And those two questions are, when is it whatever the next sport is, season? And then the other question is, why can't we have nice things? And it dawned on me today, as I'm uh, thinking about what I want to say here today, that uh, these two things are connected. You know why you can't have nice things? Because the second adversity hits, everybody jumps off the boat. That's why. That's the answer. It's right there in front of our faces. Why can't we have nice things? Every time, it never comes up Arkansas's way. When a little adversity hits, you lose a couple games in February, and now, oh, God, when's baseball season? These two things are connected. You can't energetically, not be all in and expect the maximum reward. You can't bail so quickly and get the ultimate prize. It never works that way in life. It never works that way. You got to ride it out through the good and the bad and see what happens in the end. But these two things are, it's not even disputable that they're connected. When is baseball season? Why can't we have nice things? You can't have nice things because every time something bad happens, you start looking to the next sport. That's why. That's why. People bail too easily in all the sports. It's not just here, I'm sure. I don't know what it's like in Alabama, but, I mean, this is the only place I've ever lived. And, man, we bail too easily on these guys. There's five freaking games left, some tournament games coming up. They're just going to lose out and quit? Is that what is that what they're going to do? Because that's what you're doing? I don't think so. That's the deal. If you want to know the answer, I have figured out the answer to the ultimate Razorback question. Why can't we have nice things? Because the second things get tough, you bail. That's why you can't have nice things. They are undoubtedly connected. They're all in. You got to be all in, too. It's the only way to get the maximum reward. You got to live and die. It's not all going to be a bed of roses. Baseball team, this may be controversial, but I got to tell you something. Come close to the radio. They're not going 56-0. and 0. They're not. Football team's not going 14-0 and 0 next year, either and next year when Musselman builds a roster without a bunch of freshmen they're not going to win 31 and oh 35 and 0 whatever it is 40 and 0 they don't go anywhere you can't go anywhere either that's how it works that's sports that's being a fan that's what it is the first time it gets hard you can't quit that's why so many of us failed at athletics cuz when it got hard we quit these guys these players don't quit when it gets difficult How many times do people have, uh, you know, multiple knee surgeries and they keep coming back over and over again? You know? They're built different than us. That's why we're out here in the seats. That's why we pay to go to the games and they get to go to the games for free. That's it. That's the reason. You see what I'm talking about here? These two things are in. It was so clear to me today, DQ, when I'm thinking about this. Two questions we always get. After a loss, well, when's baseball, Stuart? Or wins football store, wins, wins basketball store. And then, you know, it never goes our way. Why can't we have nice things? Because you bail at the second of adversity. That's why. You got to be all in with them. That's the only way it works. That's what I see. There you go. Uh, Randy says, that's blasphemy. They are going 56-0 and in baseball. We'll see, Randy. We'll see. Would you care to make a wager on that? I mean, that's the, that's the most... When I sit here, the most humorous sport to watch people grapple with is baseball. Because baseball is... The whole construct is failure with a few glimpses of success. Seven times out of ten you fail in that sport. And yet we still project upon baseball football expectations. The first time they lose on a weekend, the whole thing is ruined, and let's fire everybody. And it's just it's just hilarious to sit up here and watch people not know what they're looking at out there. It's weird. I mean, Dave's been here running this thing for 20 years, and people still don't know how to consume this. It's odd. And I'm not saying, you know, get disappointed, but to just totally just throw your hands up? It's not football. You're supposed to lose in that sport. No, ideally, you don't go 15 and 15 in the conference like they did that one year. But, I mean, 22 and eight's not bad. 20 and 10. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, Jay says the Hogs win the uh, national championship every year on his PlayStation 3. Okay. Well, maybe that helps with the coping. I don't know all right more of your thoughts on this uh, dysfunctional basketball team look they're not bad they just don't work well together at in large amounts of time if, if there's got to be well there is a simpler way to say that Zach came up with us last night on the uh, on the postgame show they're dysfunctional even dysfunctional people at times things go well but most of the time it doesn't go so well
0: Bet online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting this season. You'll find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code Bleave. that's B-L-E-A-V,
2: to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. DQ, what did you think about the uh, game last night?
3: Well, when I just looked at the stats, um, I was surprised to see that Arkansas only had 13 turnovers because in that last, you know, three, two, three, four minutes, it seemed like they had 20.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, it did. A lot of empty possessions yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, and that's another thing, too. You know, our, uh, A&M only had nine turnovers. Arkansas turned that into four points. That's another uh, recipe. They did win points in the paint. That's what something they have to do, 30 to 24. Uh, in some of their wins, though, that margin is a lot more than six. Everybody focused on the rebounding because A&M killed them on the offensive boards in the first game that Arkansas won, and the rebounding wasn't that uh, too far off. Uh, they, the free
3: throws, though. That was terrible. Yeah, that was a situation where that could have Arkansas could have won. Yeah, because of like momentum with free throws.
2: Seven out of 14, four of eight in the second half. But consistent. They were they went fifty percent in both halves. I, mean, I guess, but you can't <laughs> shoot fifty percent in the in the at the, the, the line and win a road game. I don't, yeah. it just doesn't work that way very often. It's very rare to be able to do that. Um. And yeah, that was another thing here. And they have another, this is the third or the fourth blown double-digit lead uh, in um, in conference play for this team, too. They, had, they led by 12 with 26 seconds to go in the first half. Then A&M goes and gets that three at the horn, and it gets to, I think, nine at the break. Yeah, nine at the break, 33-24. And AM's got all the momentum going at halftime. And it was a uh, it looked to me like it was a Devo Davis defensive foul up that um that um cost them on that three pointer there at the end of the half. And this thing runs through Devo, which is the epitome of a two sided coin. Because sometimes he is brilliant. He had a brilliant uh um a play last night, a couple plays defensively, but man, when he's not right, it is. Cringeworthy sometimes. Just cr- its his mistakes are massive mistakes. He never has like a little tiny oh whoops you know, he spilled a spilled a you know a um. He never spills water on the rug. He spills like grape juice on the white rug. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's a big mistake. <laughs> he gets wine on the white couch. You know, it's just it's always a big goof up. It seems like with him, but he has moments where he is brilliant and. Jimmy Dykes continues to sing his praises on television. And at times, rightfully so. But boy, he has some uh, moments where they are a uh, the, the big risk, big reward kind of player for him. And I like that he had 14. There's not many games where he's had um, double-digit points and they lose. I was looking back at that uh, through the season. The last time that they he had double-digit points and they lost was Baylor. And uh, in conference play, the last one was at Missouri. He went for 18 at Mizzou. So generally, the rule is if he's good, they're good. But there have been instances where sometimes the it doesn't work out that way. And let's see. He was a minus four last night on the plus minus out there with 14 points, five of 13 shooting. Walsh had a pretty good game. You know, considering he just can't, he can't foul out. I mean, they need, they got to have him on the floor. You know, it, it's, it's, it's simple with him. I, I can live with him giving me eight points. You know, like I talk all the time, I can't have him give me two. But if, if Jordan Walsh gives you eight offensively, that's, I can live with that. I can work with that. And he gave him eight last night, but I mean, I need you on the floor. I need you on the floor.
3: I'd say he probably needs to be getting more offensive rebounds. No. Because last time he only got one.
2: got one. That's right. Five rebounds. Only one on the offensive boards. I still love what the Mitchell twins are doing out there. But again, you know, you got to stay in the game. Mikel fouls out. And... um you know, he got that T early, which I don't you know, that was a uh, that was a moment where the officials know that uh, both these teams are testy and they were trying to get a hold of something before something worse happened. You know, they could have done that in a Vanderbilt game and we probably wouldn't have had all that foolishness uh late in the first half of the Vanderbilt game. If those if those officials had gotten hold of things a little bit earlier instead of uh, letting things escalate. So I don't I mean that's what happened. I mean it, you've shoved a guy. Like that's a T. Like I mean th- there's there's in, indisputable evidence of what happened there. So, I mean, that's just a bad break there uh, in, in some ways. But, I mean, that's that's got to be called or you're going to have issues later on. I thought that was a – I thought that's what they were doing there, was just trying to make sure that nothing escalated uh, later on in, in the thing there. But, yeah, free throw shooting is just a nightmare. Where do they rank down? Let me look at this thing here. In league play. They are uh they've really not done well at the free throw line. They are shooting uh, 67% from the line. Uh Ricky's the best free throw shooter in conference play 78%. Devo's at 65. Uh let's see here. Jordan Walsh is at 74 and Anthony Black is a 71% free throw shooter in um in conference play. Now Let's get into it, all right? Let's get into it. Let's talk about this. So Nick Smith did not play the entire second half. Obviously, it was a coach's decision because Musselman, after the game, uh, refused to answer the question, why did he not play in the uh, second half? So I think we have enough receipts on this that we can we can pretty definitively describe this. This is a bad marriage. This is a bad marriage. Now, even bad marriages have good moments and Nick Smith may score 25 on Saturday, or in an SEC tournament game, or in a March postseason game. I don't know which tournament it'll be right now. But this is a bad marriage. With Musselman resents him. I don't know if Nick resents Musselman or or all of this. But it, it, it's it's a bad marriage. When you're a coach, you need reliable people that are going to be in the foxhole every single day. And as Nick Smith's absence grew longer, more and more, Musselman has become more in tune with Anthony Black. Because Anthony Black's there every day. All the time. Working. Getting better when his knee got banged up. He almost missed that game. He still got out there. Like, that's the kind of stuff coaches can work with. But, this is just a bad marriage. It doesn't mean Nick Smith's a bad player. He's going to go in the lottery in June. And we've got to stop with... The NBA scouts are not going to watch any of these Razorback games with these guys. These, these All these guys are probably going to go pro. Walsh, Council, they're all going to go pro. And these games are going to have no bearing on any of that. I know it's hard to think that way when you're a fan because... Fans think that the games matter so much, we build our life around the games. So how can scouts not care about the games? But the truth is, in that sport, the scouts don't care about the games. They really don't. So all these guys are probably going to leave. And it's not going to matter what they did in this game or that game. You know, you're not building. This isn't like football where you're putting three years of tape together with the best of the best. Okay. It's totally different. So if I hear one more person that's like, well, this guy needs to come back. This guy, you don't know what you're talking about because everything at that league, they don't don't care about game tape. They really don't. They care about measurables and then what you do at the little combine deal that they have there in Chicago or wherever it is. So he's going to be gone, but this is a bad marriage with Nick Smith and with Arkansas. It's just a bad marriage. It doesn't mean it's not capable of good moments. And there's been a few. There may be a few more. But this is a bad marriage. Muscleman looks miserable. Everybody looks miserable. It's a, t- it's a classic bad marriage. You see these people out. You know? They go out to dinner and have a nice dinner to try and, you know, make things better. And they just look like they hate each other. The body language is horrible when you watch Muscleman be asked about Nick Smith. Or when you see, um you know, Nick Smith sometimes during these games, the, the it's horrible. It's a bad marriage. And again, it goes back to Musselman trying to hybrid two ways of building the roster instead of just the one way that he's done it where he's had success at Nevada and, and here. So that's what it is. But the Nick Smith thing's a bad marriage. and I don't know. You know, we play again. What? Who knows? Who knows? Who, who can get a read on this? It was pretty obvious last night though that Musselman didn't want wanted him out of his sight. I mean after the game they asked him why didn't he play? And he's like, eh, you know, we're just trying to win ball. He didn't say anything about him. Didn't say him by name or nothing. Didn't look up. He was looking down the whole time. Like it's a bad marriage. It's kind of an arranged marriage, too, when you think about it. We always heard the arranged marriages were superior. I don't know in this case. That's what I think. All right, we got text flying in here. I'm going to read some of these. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, House attorney, Devo played great last night until he got gassed. Muss's stubbornness to not rotate is killing the team late in games and late in the season. Big reason why we consistently blow double-digit leads. Another killer is Ricky plays below average against good defensive teams. He's great against average teams because of his freak athleticism, but teams with equal athletes can expose Ricky As a poor shooting, shooting guard. So, there's a house attorney's thoughts on that. Right. Justin says, if NBA scouts don't care about the games, why do they go and watch them live throughout the year? Because they get in for free. Because they got, you know, expense money to use with these teams. I mean, come on. The NBA drafts on potential not production and it's different because as fans we're accustomed to the well the games mean everything it's all we have we build you know got to get home got to watch the game got to get my chores done watch the game so they're important they're not that you know in this in that sport it's different it's not like football or uh in, in any of the other ones you know so that's uh, that's what we got there Here's someone that says uh, it's a bust. Well, I don't know if it's a bust, but it's definitely a bad marriage. This is a bad marriage with Nick Smith and Eric Musselman. It is. It is. Let's see here. Uh, Dustin says, uh, Ricky is no longer a threat. Well, that's what House Attorney said, too. You know, against better defenses, he kind of shrinks right now. So... All right, you can get in here at 866-285-4005. Text us, call us, whatever it is. 866-285-4005. By the way, uh, we heard from Patricia. She's fine. Um, The students were mean to her in College Station. But um, other than that, it was a good time out there on her day at the game. Other than, and then they lost. That wasn't a good part of the date either, but I don't know. You know, uh, Zach, uh, last night on a post-game show, just said this team is dysfunctional. And I think that's like the simplest, clearest way to say all of this that I've been saying for the last half hour. They're just dysfunctional. Like their parts very rarely work together in a symphony. And, you know, like, you know, when you, you go to a, you go to hear music, and everybody is just, you know, it's in the pocket. It's just perfect. Like, that doesn't happen very often with this group where everything is just singing right along. It doesn't happen too often. And yet, somehow, you know, I know we'd like them to have a better record than six and seven in the league, but, you know, this hasn't been a total failure. You know, they're not nine and 17, they're 17 and nine. It's kind of like the 06 football team, if you think about it. I mean, that that team had dysfunction everywhere. Coaches hated each other. You know, players didn't like other players. And somehow they won 10 games. So it's odd. It's very rare to have dysfunction and have some level of success. And they still have a chance at the NCAA tournament. There are still games to be played here. The season's not over. If we've learned anything from sitting in this chair all these years, it's just the moment when I declare things over, that's when the team turns around. So it's not over, but man, they are dysfunctional. They have a lot of parts that just not, uh, they don't often enough click together in the right direction. Andy is in Rogers. Hello, Andy.
4: Hey, Ruskin. How are you?
2: Man, I'm good. What's up?
4: Oh, you're saying things I was thinking last night when I went to bed. I I, um, and, and I appreciate that. Um, not that Nick Smith is, uh, it's, you're right. It's, it's not fitting. He's not. They they had a wonderful game against Kentucky. I watched that game bell to bell, and I thought, oh my gosh, this team is is playing together. They're they're fluid. They're they're. Uh. And then the last two games, trying to work in Nick Spence, and I get it. He was a huge recruit, and everyone wants to see him play. But if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And and maybe um, I don't know. Last night I thought maybe uh, maybe not try to work him in so many minutes you know, or something like that. I don't help me with that because I'm on a ledge right now. I've been a Razorback fan since 91. And this is, uh, this is one of those years again, where I'm like, come on, man, give us something to root for. I can't wait for baseball.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's not, again, it's, it's February 16th. It's not March 16th. So there's still games to be played. They got a couple of, um, you know, Florida didn't have their best player coming in here Saturday with castled and breaking his hand. So, They gotta win that game. But the thing is about their resume, the two best chances to boost their resume, unless Kentucky is 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 heating up again. That's a home game at the end of the year, obviously. But Bama and Tennessee are both on the road and they're like, you know, three days apart. I can't can anybody imagine them winning one of those games? They're not winning two. I mean, that's but it just seems so beyond us, that they could win one of those games. And what will happen, they'll probably go down there and win one of those games because that's just the way it is. That's the way it is sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, you just, the thing I would say uh, is that you just have to hope that there are enough of those rare moments where everything works together that they can win some ball games. Because, again, more often than not, these parts do not fit together. They just don't. There have been moments where they have, like the Kentucky game, and I don't know what Musselman's going to do with Nick Smith. Heck, start him, let him get two fouls and put him on the bench. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any clue how he's going to manage this situation beginning on Saturday. He didn't play at all in the second half. It was obviously Musselman's decision. He seems like he's just fed up with the whole ordeal. He's just fed up with all of it. Another reason why it's it looks like a bad marriage. All right, let's get Josh in Texarkana in here before
4: the break. Hi, Josh. Hey brother, hey. Does, uh, does the Nick Smith uh, distraction remind you of the Mitch Mustaine distraction? It's it's too much, man. Just do something. Let him go. Let's do something different. All right. Well, I don't. I don't. I think
2: I just said that they're. I don't know what they're going to do. They're not going to do that. They're not just going to cut him. They're not going to put him on the waiver wire. They're not going to dismiss him from the team. Oh, they're not going to do any of that. They're going to keep him around. I don't know if there's enough games left to merge him into what they're trying to do there. you got to remember, okay, this is a late game Wednesday where they got a day to practice this, maybe two days of practice here, but the, the game's Saturday. It's a 1 o'clock game. So that's pretty early, so not a lot of time before the game. There, there's just so much limited... We have no idea. Chuck made this point once, and, you know, some people may have thought it was Homer talk, but it's actually reality. Like, there's really not a lot of time to work on stuff between these games on the floor. I mean, you can make up all your scouting reports, watch your videos, all that stuff. I mean, you can you could have pages on that, but actually working together on the floor, there's just not a lot of time between these games. And they're trying to do this all on the fly, and it's um, the first two games have not gone well in that regard.
0: Head to Twin Peaks and Rogers, your sports headquarters, where the 29-degree draft beer is flowing, the kitchen is bursting with made-from-scratch fan favorites, and the game is blasting from every angle. Come in for the ultimate game day experience or visit them online at TwinPeaksRestaurant.com to order to go or delivery and enjoy your Twin Peaks scratch favorites from home. More TVs, bigger screens, plus their scenic views. There's more to watch at Twin Peaks.
1: and when it comes to your home service needs, make the call to Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. The friendly pros at Pascal have been serving Arkansas for more than 50 years. And as the weather changes, make sure your system is ready with a Pascal protection plan. Call the pros at Pascal and get a seasonal tune up, discounted services, and priority scheduling. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned, Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com.
2: Right now, we're going to spend some more time. On Arkansas basketball, Uh, Chuck Barrett is with us for the hour. He, of course, was in College Station last night. He's with us here every Thursday. Uh, What's going on, Chuck? Good afternoon.
1: Well, good afternoon. I'm just pondering what a man like Zach Arns does on a day off.
2: I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a video game tournament or uh, who knows. (laughs) He wouldn't tell us. Of course he doesn't tell us. He was so secretive. He has to know every detail about us. But uh, when it comes to him, it's it's Fort Knox. But... um, I digress.
1: He's a very private guy. He's a private That's guy.
2: That's right. Yeah absolutely. Uh, so you were there uh, at the first question well what happened in the last seven minutes of that game from your perspective?
1: Well I wish I could give you a good explanation. Uh, they um, you know a lot of the things that they'd been doing uh, they didn't do anymore like you know keep Texas A&M off the offensive glass and you know, I thought overall, when you look at the game, there were a lot of things Arkansas did well. A lot of things Arkansas did well, except in the last five minutes of the game. And um, I thought that A&M won the first five minutes of the, of the second half, and I thought they won the final five minutes of the game. And those to me were the – I mean, that's the only time Arkansas didn't lead, basically. Um, you know, Arkansas led for 31 minutes. But the last five minutes, you know, they had turnovers – Uh, they took bad shots in terms of shot selection. It was not as good as it had been. Uh, You know, they they gave up a putback. They put A&M on the foul line. And those are things that they'd not done during the course of the game. And I wish I could tell you why it happened then, but um, it just kind of all fell apart right at the end of the game. And, of course,
2: as, um, you know, people see – things unravel late in the game and it's you know getting late in the year with five games to go in a regular season people get more and more frustrated and agitated about why why is this still happening and again you you'd think you could be able to you know work some of this out of the system but yet here we are where there are just moments in these in these games where just the whole thing just goes sideways for some reason and sometimes they have enough time to recover uh last night was not one of those opportunities though
1: No, and, you know, I do think, and, you know, people get tired of hearing about it, but uh, I do think the fact that, you know, you look around college basketball, a lot of the teams that are doing well have older guys in the backcourt, particularly, and um, A&M does, and I thought that showed up toward the end of the game, and I know people will say that, well, you know, gosh, you shouldn't do that whether you're a freshman or a junior or what, and I guess theoretically you're right, but, um, you know, you look around college basketball, and a lot of those veteran-laden teams are the ones that are doing well. And, you know, when you look at Texas A&M, to me, that's, that's the key to the whole thing with them. Um, you know, you watch them warm up, you think we're better than they are. You watch the first half, we're better than they are. Watch the first 10 minutes of the second half, first 15 minutes of the second half. Well, we had a little stumble, but we're still better than them. And then the last five minutes of the ball game, you lose. Um, that tells me that an experienced team, a lot of times that's an experienced team taking over down the stretch. And I think that's what makes A and M this, uh, as good as they've been, I don't really think it's any magic, frankly. Um, I think at, at, at the critical moments, the guys who've been around the block have a better chance of making the plays,
2: you know, and, and another thing you bring up the veterans, uh, you know, this has been a year where Musselman's kind of had a hybrid approach to how this team was constructed. There are, you know, the veteran portal guys like the Mitchell Twins and Jalen Graham. You also have this, um, is this group of, of talented freshmen. And the results, it's, he's built it differently and the results have been different than we've seen the past two years where we have these, you know, we've
1: seen these inconsistent moments at times. You know, I'm going to be interested to see over the next two or three years, not just at Arkansas, but at a lot of places, on how they approach recruiting. And I'm talking about high school players and transfer portal guys. Um, I'm of the opinion, and I don't think this is necessarily good, but I'm of the opinion that as we move forward, we're going to see more and more programs rebuild their rosters almost exclusively out of the portal. Um, I don't know that signing a a passel full of McDonald's All-Americans is – is the way to immediate success the way it was even five years ago. Um, I don't think you can collect the number one recruiting class in America full of, you know, McDonald's All-Americans and necessarily expect to be in the Final Four the next year because it just doesn't work that way with the portal. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how the program – if you look at Arkansas and Duke this year, North Carolina was in this bunch, but Arkansas and Duke specifically – how highly the classes were rated. Think about Arkansas's class right now. Where would we be without Ricky Council and the Mitchell Twins? Mm-hmm. You know, nobody was given high five. Oh, we got the Mitchell Twins. Did you hear about that? Um, nobody did that. But where would we be without them? Uh, and you look at the teams that are doing well in our league. Where would Texas A&M be without Henry Coleman from Duke or Julius Marble from Mississippi State? Or Where would some of these great players that are playing – Uh, you know, for a lot of the teams in the country, where would they be without the transfer portal? They wouldn't be where they are. And so, you know, I hate to say it, but I think this is going to affect high school recruiting even more as we move on down the road. And I don't know that you're going to see the great teams in college basketball. You know, we would – in in pro sports, we would say, you know, build from within. You know, like in baseball, you build through your minor league system – you know, to draw a college analogy, uh, um, you know, it's kind of like free agency now. If you want to win now, you better go hit the portal. That's free agency in college sports. And, you know, more and more college coaches are having to be what I think are similar to NBA general managers, um, a guy who coaches a team and is also the GM, which never seems to work out very well. <laughs> no. But uh, um, you look at colleges now, and these coaches are having to be GMs. I mean, you know, Muss said on his radio show Monday night, this just floored me, last year we were getting ready to play. I forget which NCAA tournament game it was, Sweet 16 or Elite 8. I forget. He had five Zoom calls the day before with kids about the transfer portal. You know, that's like what a general manager's doing in pro sports. Mm-hmm. The team's getting ready to play the biggest game of the year. Well, he's focused on, you know, the bigger picture for the offseason. We're asking head coaches to do that now. Uh, they have to be roster managers. GMs do that in the pros. And um, I just uh, you know it's a real long answer to your question, and I'm bad to do that, but no. I think that um, I think moving forward, one of the interesting things to watch in college basketball is going to be the teams that win, how did they put their roster together? And it's a monkey see monkey do business. And whoever wins one or two doing it one way, that's what all the others are going to try to do for a while.
2: Yeah. Um, first of all, I've been talking for the last three hours, so you have carte blanche to talk as long as you would like here in this uh, five o'clock hour, Chuck. Number one,
1: uh, well, I was trying to kill some time. Thank for you. you there. I, yes. I was. I was. I was trying to be. A, the, I was trying to be a good partner. The,
2: there. the filibuster is welcome uh, That's today. That's right. I um, understand. But but another point here. A couple of points I was thinking about um, as you were talking. Uh, Firstly, Musselman was kind of an an innovator on that point, on going to the portal. Not a lot of people, I don't think, were doing that. And then he started—he was doing it, and then he was doing it here at Arkansas, a little bit higher-profile job than Nevada, to be honest with you, and they go to -to back-to-back in Elite Eights. The other thing to consider, too, Chuck, is it looks like the NBA is going to get rid of the one-and-done rule. So now— these high school players are not going to have to go find some college to hang out at for a year before they can go to the NBA. So more of those guys are going to go straight to the NBA, and that's going to impact uh, high school recruiting too.
1: Well, they've never quite been able to figure this out. I mean, I'm old enough now that I've been through the period where they didn't have to go pro and then the period where they do have to go pro. And, um, you know, basically um, I can't tell that, you know, one way is necessarily any better than the other. Now, it's always happened before without the transfer portal. Uh, that's the wild card in all this now. And you've got the one-time transfer rule. And so, you know, all those uh, all those things come into play. It's, uh, hey, it's, uh, you know, in my mind, there are times you can look at it and say, man, it's a mess. There are other times it works the way it should. So, um, you know, the bottom line is I, I just think the portal is going to be, I think that's where it's at right now.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Chuck Barrett is with us here for the hour, your drive home, powered by Mr. Sparky here on Ruskin and Zach. Um, I guess the third rail in all of this is you know, Nick Smith did not play at all in the second half and uh, Musk didn't really want to talk about it all that much following the game in his uh, post-game press conference. Um, I mean, it's a weird kind of, some in some ways, uncomfortable situation as they try and mesh him back into what they're doing, and the, the first two games, it hasn't really uh, produced the results a lot of people would like.
1: You know, Mus is kind of damned either thing he does there, you know. Um, uh, he's – people – and I understand, you know, you wonder why a guy played four minutes, but then you have to think about it, it's been nearly two months since he played. Um, he played 17 minutes in the first game, and so I think the natural assumption was, well, gosh, he'll play 20 or 25. 17 is a really large number of minutes for a guy that hadn't played in you know, six or seven weeks. Um, you know, I don't know what he was thinking, and I'm not going to try to explain what he was thinking because he was asked and he answered it the way he wanted to. But um, I do know that the group that was out there at the end of the ball game last night the same group that was out there in the second half at Lexington when they played you know one of their best halves of basketball this season and um you know those are the guys he danced with that night and they won big and um you know it didn't work last night that's for sure
2: yeah it's 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 a real tricky spot and of course everybody uh, uh we've we've had texts all day long about I'm sure I what understand to, that what, what people think of the situation and, and my, what I've consistently gone back to and I've learned I've, I've done this not as long as uh, as some people but I've done it a while that as long as there are still games on the schedule like nobody's just going to like lay down and stop like there I mean there's going there's still games to be played and anything can happen in these last
1: uh you know months worth of ball games well one thing I think you have to consider is and must talked about this the other day And nobody really reacted to it all that much. He said, basically, we're starting our fifth or sixth season. Yeah. You know, because of personnel, and you know, think back to the first part of January, when it became obvious that Nick was not going to play for a while. Brazil was already out. Um, It was ugly for a little bit. I mean, it was ugly. They were one and five. I mean, Mm -hmm. and and and, um, didn't start off well. But, you know. They began to figure some things out and started winning some games and the schedule kind of fell in their favor for a little bit and they got back to 500, and they beat Kentucky and um, it seemed like everything was going to be okay. Here we go. Um, And then, you know, you throw a new wrinkle into it by bringing Nick back and all the things that come with that in everybody's head. And, you know, you are essentially starting again. Now, this time, they don't have a month to put it all together the way they did in January. And, I mean, we talked back then about how, man, there's going to be some games where it's not very good. Um, well, we had a game last night where for five minutes at the end it wasn't very good. They've got a smaller window now to put it together. It's a very small window now. you got two and a half weeks, basically, three, before, uh, you know, before the tournament rolls around. So um, we'll see if they can do it. Um, a lot of people didn't think they could do it when they were one and five and, um, it's not where we wanted it to be right now, but, um, there's still the ingredients there to play some good basketball.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned that on TV last night, uh, they were mentioning that, uh, Chris, uh, uh, coach Musselman's mom kind of mentioned to him, Hey, this is like your sixth team that you've been coaching fifth or sixth team. So it seems like, uh. His mom was responsible for that. Uh, well, that nugget of analysis.
1: Maybe so. Sometimes moms do have the yeah. best, uh, you know, the best perspective. One thing that I will say about Nick, though, um, and, and I made this remark way back at the start of the season. I hope when he leaves, people remember him for being a great player, as opposed to what might have been. We may have crossed that threshold. I don't know, but you know, Nick's. It's been a, it's been so long since he's played. Frankly, you have to go back and look, but. You know, he scored 21 against Oklahoma, which I considered to be his best game. Uh, that was now I know he had 22 I guess against Asheville, maybe another game where he scored a lot, but I, I just kind of considered that Oklahoma game to be his you know to be his best game. but it's not like in the games Nick played or plays in now, it's not like he averages 21 a game. I mean that was almost a one or you know that that, that two game stretch. I mean, Other than that, I mean, he's averaged about 10, something like that. And I think, you know, everyone heard about, you know, they see his ability and they hear about the draft and the agents and all the people that want to surround themselves with Nick Smith. And they think if he just comes into the game, it's an automatic 40. Or if times are tough in a game, you bring him off the bench and he saves the day. And, you know, to ask a guy to do that when he, he's barely played in two months, that's, that's, I just don't know that that's realistic. And, again, I, I mean, Musk was answered the, or asked the question and answered it the way he wanted to answer it. So I'm not going to pretend that I understand what he thinks. But um, I will go back to what I said a minute ago. That group that was out there at the end last night played pretty doggone well together at Kentucky, and I can't help but think that that figured into at least part of his thinking.
2: All right, we got some uh, calls here. If you're uh, up for it, uh, Chuck.
1: Yeah. All right, let's, br- let's do it.
2: Okay, we got John in Fort Smith here. Hi, John. What's up? Hey, guys.
4: Appreciate the analysis, Chuck. Think he was spot on with a lot of things. Uh, the the one thing I think fans are kind of frustrated with is there does not seem to be any leadership on this team as far as out on the floor. Uh, in years past, they've had guys step up and and be leaders and be you know when things got tough when things in crunch time when you know when they needed somebody to step up and, and take over they had guys that did, did that. Mason Jones or Isaiah Joe or J D Note. There's nobody on this team that's doing that. And you you would think Devontae Davis would be the guy.
1: No. He's done it more but than it, others. It, it's just not happening. He's done it more than others. And um, I think that, you know, when Arkansas has been good, uh, Devo's been good. You know, um, um, you look at the games, I don't have the stat right in front of me, but in the games, the conference games where he scored in double figures, Arkansas has won the overwhelming majority of those games. And, um, you know, um, I do think that, you know, he's the oldest guy on the team, He's or at least in terms of guys that have – you know, played meaningful minutes and meaningful games in a Razorback uniform. He's the oldest guy on the team. And so um, he's uh, he's very definitely a leader. Whether or not he's the leader, I don't know. But, you know, leaders have got to play well, too. I mean, you can't be the leader and, and go out there and stink it up.
2: Yeah, that was one of the
1: things uh, last
2: night that was odd, uh, looking back at it, is, okay, A&M shoots 35% from the floor in the game. That's usually good. And then, you know, Devo... He had some issues shooting, five for thirteen, but fourteen points from Devo is usually that—that's a good harbinger. And uh, you know they just weren't able to 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 get it done last night. So a couple things there on the stat sheet that usually are good for Arkansas, but they ended up uh, not winning the
1: game last night. Well, you got to shoot better than fifty percent from the foul line too. Oh yeah, you got to yeah. do better than that. Um, you can't go to the line and miss two. Um, you can't go to the line in the last five minutes and miss the front end. Um, you know A and M uh, if A and M had just shot 50% from the foul line at the end they might have you know, Arkansas might have won but they didn't you know they uh what well, they go on probably the ugliest 10-0 run in the <laughs> history of basketball and I think six of them came from the foul line it's hard to call that a run but that's just kind of you know how they did it and those were things that Arkansas for 35 minutes had not done and uh, they had not put them on the foul line like that and they'd not given up the you know, the offensive rebounds and the second chance points. And, you know, it is frustrating when it all happens there at the end.
2: SmackDaddy is on the phone in Greenwood. Hi,
1: SmackDaddy.
6: Hey, guys, what's going on?
1: SmackDaddy.
6: What's up, Chuck? Just to piggyback off of what you just said, I heard a phrase uh, towards the beginning of the season, uh, someone mentioned that free throws win road games. And for some reason that seems like it has been a – a true statement for Arkansas this year because it seems like we have lost multiple, multiple games because of the free throw line. And uh, also, Chuck, real quick, I want to see if you can refresh my memory. My biggest beef with Musselman, which, you know, I'm a couch coach, so, of course, I don't have any <laughs> more, any knowledge that he has. But what is his deal with no calling time out? He made a statement on his radio or on his uh, Monday night thing a while back, and you were you were the one that was talking to him. Did he say that it was his dad that put that mentality in him to not call timeouts, or what's his what's his deal with waiting so long to call a timeout? These guys are high school kids, so they're gonna get frazzled whether they were five-star All-Americans in high school, this ain't high school, it's college. And I feel like, like I say, again, I'm a couch coach, but I feel like he should call timeout a lot sooner and try to calm these guys down and say, hey, guys, get it back together. But do you remember what he said his mentality was as to why he doesn't like to call timeout? And I don't remember the – all
1: right, um, thank you. <laughs> um, I don't recall the, 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 the exact – answer no but I do know that you know he's talked before about how you know virtually everything he thinks about coaching was you know comes from his dad and uh, Chuck Daly and maybe some others that you know were part of his dad's coaching tree so to speak he's always been this way he's not the only one there there are lots of coaches that are like this um you know players have the ability to play through this stuff I don't know sometimes that you know we think if they call a timeout and everybody comes over there in the huddle, that you know they're all listening intently to the coach and everything he's saying, is soaking in, and they're going to come out of that timeout and everything's going to be great. There are times when they work. Don't get me wrong; I, I'm, I'm not minimizing that. And he's called a few here and there. I think he called one last night, fairly early, second half. And um, but there's a you know there's an element of defeatism there too. I think when you do that. And um, but um, he's He's carried this philosophy with him, and, he's, again, he's not the only one.
0: You're listening to the Ruskin & Zach Podcast, brought to you by United Roofing & Waterproofing, here to help with all your residential and commercial roofing needs. Call Joey and his team at 479-312-7369 or check them out online at unitedrw.com.
2: I guess that the McDonald's All-American people miss on evaluations, but I just can't, can't imagine that they missed on all three of these guys. And they're just not as good as they were hyped up to be. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe this is a talented roster. They just don't work together well most of the time. You know, there, there's a school of thought out there that, you know, maybe these guys are not that good as 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 hyped up to be. I mean, who could live up to some of this hype anyway? But, you know, it, but the true serum is, is the mock drafts. And, like, they're all thought of as one of the – a lot of these guys are the, you know, among the 10 best players in the whole sport. So there's talent there. They're just underachieving and they're dysfunctional most of the time. They're definitely – they're underachieving almost all of the time. But they're dysfunctional most of the time. It's really just odd. And what was um, the thing last night was that what they hang their hat on. Remember, when when everything was going bad back in January, I was on with Ty in one of the postgame shows, and I'm like, you got to work work on the what do you have that's good. Well, you got length and you can defend. You got to wor- work on that. Well, last night they defend pretty well. I mean, a and shoots 35% for crying out loud. They still didn't win. Arkansas didn't win. That's that's the most troubling thing of all. Is you did the thing you need to do defensively, thirty-five percent shooting for the opponent, and you still lost. That feels a little hopeless in some in a lot of ways. They got to get more turnovers, and um, they can't fall in love with the three. They're not a good three-point shooting team. They they are they've been dreadful since November at that, and yet for some reason. They, they chuck up 10 of them last night or up chuck 10 of them, I guess. I don't know. Let's see here. That's some text coming in here. Uh, Jason says, Anthony Black has a team high in turnovers and must act like it's no big deal. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Y- you got to look at the other column next to turnovers to be fair on that. And it's assists. And in conference play, it's 64 assists, 47 turnovers. That's a, a one-and-a-half assist-to-turnover ratio. You can work with that, you know. Is he? Does he make mistakes? Of course. But, you know, the turnover ratio isn't forty-seven turnovers, forty-nine assists. All right. So, and plus, like Anthony Black is Musselman's dude. You know why? Because he's there every day. He's reliable. He's not Nick Smith. He's there all the time. He's fighting his guts out for this team. He brings a. Chippiness and an attitude, and he can generally back it up with his game. You know, he's you wish he could be like if he if he had a if he was able to stay around a little more longer, he's not going to. But he could be one of those heart and soul kind of guys that's just like he's the he's the grit of the team. Now, not only just heart and soul because of you know, heart and soul, He actually has ability. I mean he can score, he can finish at the rim, all that stuff. So, but, uh, I mean, and and he's just, he's just such a beast. I mean, that kid is just so much fun to watch him play. And, you know, he got a little uh, little testy at times last night. But, I mean, it wasn't any, he's, he's not, I don't think he's getting involved in the baloney of the game as often as he was earlier in conference play. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that because he's, He's realized that, you know, that's one thing, but I'd rather, you know, it's more damaging to the opponent when you go score or make a great pass or whatever it is. So, I don't know. Titus thinks they'll be a nine seed and be out in the first round. Well, right now, Jerry Palm has him as an 11 seed. So, and that would be in the first four. Jerry Palm updates his bracket every day. I don't know what Lenardi's deal is. He doesn't update every day. I mean, we've only got a, a freaking month left in the season. I don't know what he what could possibly be taking him away from giving us updated bracketology every single day. But the last bracket post, it was two days ago. You know how many games have been played since then? A lot of them. Palm updates it every day. And he's and he's not as high on Arkansas as uh, Joe Lenardi is, which is probably why a lot of people around here don't like Jerry Palm. But he's got him as the 11. He's one of the last four teams in the field. a and also one of the last four teams in the field after last night's result, getting the win. So that's where that stands. The SEC's trying to get seven in. Arkansas and A&M are one of them right now. But we know how these things can fluctuate depending on if you can handle your business or not. In these next two ball games against lesser opponents, Georgia's terrible. Florida's going to be, you know, Florida's going to be one of two things here. Either uh, Todd Golden can can rally to circle the wagons here without Castleton, and they put in a strong effort. And if you're not ready for that, I mean, you you'll get beat. Or they are, you know, missing their everything guy, Colin Castleton, and you know it's it's a blowout win. Arkansas better be ready for this game though, because we've seen it in t- Tennessee last night. Now Tennessee is a lot better than Florida. But we've seen teams all the time that uh, something bad happens and then they circle to wagons. And then they win the next game. And everybody's like, oh, they have no chance in the next game. And then they win. That's what you're looking at with Florida. It's a circle to wagons moment for them. To go on the road here without their best guy with a broken hand. It's going to be emotional for them. Arkansas has got to be ready for that. Uh, Florida's not going to come in here and lay down, I don't think. If they did, that would not be a great commentary on their new coaching staff there. All right. Lots going on here. 866-285-4005 is the uh, phone number. Clark says, he hopes there's something besides sports. The Hogs depress me. Well, you know what? I mean, we got to fix this. They don't have the answers. Maybe someone out here does. We can figure this out. This is when we're. This is when we shine, Clark, as an industry. When stuff's broken, everybody's got a solution. Some of them are terrible. Some of them might be pretty good. That's what we got going on here. The free throw thing is also just, just, it's just. It makes you want to spit nails, doesn't it? Let's see here. There's a lot of stuff coming in here on Nick Smith. There was a couple I wanted to read. I don't know if I can find them again. Um, but regarding uh, Nick Smith, they're not getting rid of him. I know as somebody called in earlier. It was like, "Oh, just you know, let him walk or whatever." I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, you you got to figure out a way to make his game mesh with. He, he's got to play. Like, they don't have enough people anyway. So,
3: and I mean, come on. The good thing about him is. Like, Muscleman just has to let his let his pride go for one more month. And then Smith is going to be gone.
2: Yeah. Can you coexist for one Can more you just month? just one month? That's right. That's we're, it. We're talking, we're talking five regular season games, a few in, in each of the two. We're, we're talking like ten games. Can you coexist for ten more games? Is that really that difficult? I don't know, DQ. I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, I I just think he's just Musk is just over this entire situation of the interview. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I didn't see it, but I mean, I imagine if it was something about his knee, they would have said some like they would have said you know his knee or something. Yeah. So it is definitely because he chose not to play Smith.
2: Yeah, it was coach's decision. And he's just, he's looking down the whole time. He doesn't even talk about him by name. He's just like, you know, we're just trying to win. Like he, he totally dodged the question. He's he just done he with all of it. He
3: didn't even dodge the question in a try not to be obvious way. No,
2: no. This was an obvious, yes. <laughs> this this was not a, this was not a subtle dodge of the question. It was a major dodge of the question here. Um. So that's, that's where that thing is now. Thank you, DQ. We need you today. We don't have a Zach here to kick around. But um, it's good to have your thoughts on all this stuff, too. And everybody else out there. Russ good at Zach here on ESPN Arkansas. And hit that line, dot com. Yeah. Titus says, if they lose the next three, the full weight of hog Twitter will come alive out of the bottomless pit of despair. All right. That is quite poetic, Titus. This text is, uh, people are rooting for Nick Smith because he's from Arkansas. No, they're rooting for him because he's a Razorback. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you've got that uniform on, people are going to want you to succeed. I mean, there may be a little bit of that because he's from here, but, I mean, it's listen, it, it doesn't matter where you're from. It, it, you put the uniform on, people are, are going to root for you to do well here. That's the way that works. But there's still games to be played. Like, people, uh, the immediate reaction last night is like, well, that's a season. It's five to go. Then you got the conference tournament and then some sort of postseason tournament. It better be the NCAAs. Otherwise, um, the season's a failure if they go to the NIT. You can't put a roster together like this and go to the NIT and spin that as things going well. It's a failure if they go to the NIT.